Hello and welcome to God is a Dad podcast. If you are listening to this, then you are probably interested in becoming a better parent. And that's good because that's kind of what we're here to do. And with that, it's kind of our belief that the best way to become a better parent is to look at the way God parents us and then try to be more like that as parents. So today we're going to be doing that by talking to a good friend of ours who has, along with her husband, grown their family exclusively through adoption. And they as of a couple days ago, just welcomed their fourth child into their home through adoption. We were really excited to have her on because we just kind of think that if we're going to get to know God better in his fullness, it would be a really good idea to hear from a lot of diverse experiences that parents have. And we kind of wanted to get her take on parenting, raising kids, what God's like as a parent from that perspective. I really enjoyed this conversation. Uh, I got a lot out of it personally, and I hope you do too. So let's go ahead and get started. Well, now I've, I've genuinely been excited to um, <laughs> chat with you for a little bit about this. Yeah, I, you guys, I think, just have a really, at least for people that I'm familiar with, I don't know a lot of people that are in kind of the family situation that you're in. I know it's not an uncommon thing, but I'm just, I don't have a ton of people in my life that have built your, or grown your family the way you, do you have. So I'm kind of, I'm kind of curious to, um, yeah. to hear some of the stuff, the insights you have about fa- family and parenting and God from your experience. So mm-hmm. can you... Yeah. Go ahead and just give like a quick, I mean, it doesn't have to be long or anything, but just a quick intro, kind of like a little bit of your story if you want to, or just what your family looks like. Yeah, that kind of thing. sure. I have been interested in adoption for a long time, probably since college. And it really started from reading blogs of other adoptive families. And so then towards the end of college, I really kind of felt a specific call to, to pursue adoption. And for a while there, I didn't know if that was going to be through a job, career, um, if that would be um, actually adopting children, if I would do that as a single person or um, married. I did decide to pursue social work and adoption that way. But within the first couple months of starting my social work program, I met my husband. And so we were friends. And then Um, We started dating, and then within a month, I kind of told him, hey, I really feel like God has called me to grow my family this way, and I know that that is maybe unusual because I don't really feel um, like I want to pursue having biological kids, and what do you think about that? (laughs) (laughs) And so thankfully, he was like, yeah, I've always wanted to have kids, and I've never made assumptions about how they would come to my family. <laughs> and so that was great. <laughs> that was really great. That's kind of wild, really. I mean, I know, that's yeah. a little bit strange. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know it was, it was God. <laughs> Cause I was like ready to say, see you later if he wasn't into that. Oh, <laughs> yeah. So nice. we, we dated and got married all within a year. It was pretty fast, yep, yep. which is kind of our theme with things. <laughs> and so then our thought was let's wait a couple years and get settled and save up money and all these things. But then really within six months of getting married through various uh, sources that I really feel God was um, using to talk to us, we felt that it was time to start the process then. So we had a very low income and my husband, Dan, was in med school and there were all these things kind of going against us. But we 
started researching our options and we found that we um, qualified for several different options. And so we completed our application then. And so we chose to adopt from the Democratic Republic of Congo. And at that time, we expected the process to be pretty quick and relatively easy. Um, And then things really changed due to ethical concerns in the DRC. So we got delayed after we had accepted the referral for our sons. Um, So they were about six months old when we accepted their referral. And then we just went into this period of not knowing if we would ever be able to bring them into our home. And it was really hard. And so during that time, we were ready to be parenting. So we started doing Safe Families, which is a optional hosting program for families in crisis. So we hosted six different kids and then our eyes became open to domestic adoption. So while we were still waiting, we started a domestic adoption and we, (laughs) we, yeah. Can you, I mean, what, just real quick, like what, (laughs) what were you thinking uh, when, when like what was going, I mean, not, yeah, not in a bad way. What, what yeah. was going through your mind? Like, what, you know, what, yeah. what was that? Just real quick, yeah. Um, we felt ready to be parents, and we had no doubts that God was calling us to adoption. Mm-hmm. And we had just gotten to know domestic adoption better, and we had become really interested in having, like, an open adoption with birth parents. So, yeah, I mean, it it came through it came through learning things and praying and talking to each other and other people. And it's Probably not, probably not really suggested to do that, but (laughs) doors were open to us and we felt confident to keep walking through it. Yep, totally. And then in the end, um, our son's birth mom shared that she really kind of chose us because of our commitment to parenting other kids who are not Caucasian. So the fact that we were pursuing our son's um, and we were waiting for our sons even because she wanted um, she wanted her baby to be the only child for a while. All of that like came together for her mm-hmm. to choose mm-hmm. us and for us to be the best fit in her mind. Right, right. So it's kind of crazy. Yeah. yeah so um, we welcomed our son when he was three weeks old, um, and we sh- we have an open adoption with his birth family. Um, they don't live nearby, so it's not a lot of frequent visits, but we are in touch often. Um, and then when he was 13 months old, our twins finally were able to come home. So we really grew from zero kids to three kids in about a year. But it's just so interesting because we tried to, I mean, we tried to, we tried to add kids like several years ago, right, right, yeah, (laughs) three years ago. And it was clear. God said, you know, not yet. You can go on this journey (laughs) and it's going to be a hard journey, but no, I don't think you're ready to have them in your house yet. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. And so, yeah, three kids in 13 months. And then, and then you, you also are looking to grow even further pretty soon, right? Yes, yeah. So we um, started the domestic adoption process again. We, I would say four kids has always kind of been our limit. And there was just a period there where it was clear that everyone was just kind of getting used to being a family. And so it was not the right time to start it then. But then I would say we kind of have accepted that with kids and with parenting, there's lots of different seasons. And there's never going to be a perfect season 
to do this or that, including adding another kid. And you just have to um, trust in what God has for you. And so got approved. And then we are currently um, matched and waiting for the baby to be born um, and waiting for baby's mom to kind of make her final decision about whether or not she's going to place with us or she's going to parent. That's awesome. Congratulations. Thank you. Did you, so did you end up getting your social work degree then? I do have my master's in social work. And so for a while, I worked in the foster care system. And right now, I'm working part-time. And what I do is basically um, assess and educate families who are interested in adoption and then ultimately approve them. And so I feel super equipped for my job because I can yeah. say, yeah, yeah. you know, this is what you think right now, but this is... A, um, how things might be and are you prepared for that and how are you going to handle that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, with that, then I guess the a natural next question would be, I feel like for myself, I'm, f- I'm fairly ignorant in terms of what, what adoption is actually like, you know, mm-hmm. and what, uh, like I perceive it from the outside and I see people, diff- you know, different people that grow their families that way and go through it. And you know, you, you hear things or you read people's blogs or you just hear people talk about it and you get a, like a, a very tiny insight. But I'm just curious from you, from your perspective with all the experience you've had and especially, yeah, in your career, like what do you, what would you say the biggest misconception people have about adoption is? Yeah, I would say, well, there's really two that come to mind. I think one of them is just that if a woman is placing a child for adoption, that she is young and that this is her first child, and mm. that she's um, using substances. Oh, really? And that has not, those things have not been the case in our situations, and in many situations I know. I don't know if it's probably, you know, movies, media um, that have painted that picture, but it is often, her circumstances are often way more complex or different than that. I think the other misconception that I am actively trying to address is that if you adopt a child at birth, that they have no trauma, they'll have no issues. It's just as if they were your biological child. Oh, interesting. So trauma and trauma research is kind of a big part of adoption and a big part of how we parent our kids. And so I am not a big science person, but I've learned so much um, sciencey things. I distinctly remember the first time I learned that a baby in utero can feel the stress of um, mom and that that stress is trauma and that trauma can affect so many things, um, behavior and learning and health. Um, all those things. And so even just um, like babies being able to tell mom's scent and mom's voice and just knowing when they've been separated from that. So there is no, you know, there's no, there's no adoption where it's like, this was a child that you carried and this is your biological child. Wow. That's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely, yeah. I I don't think I've ever heard that before. That's really, that's really cool though to hear. Yeah. I mean, it makes a lot of sense. I never heard that either. So that's pretty interesting from uh, my perspective because I was, (laughs) I was adopted as a, as an infant. So I should uh, look Mm -hmm. into that. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. There are different kind of like markers or criteria for what psychologists and people would consider trauma. And so any child who has been adopted has been separated from biological family. And so they would say that you have experienced trauma, whether or not that trauma affects you the same as other people. I don't know. So how do you talk about adoption with your boys so far? Like, mm-hmm. how have you talked about it with them? And then kind of from that also, what is their perception or understanding of adoption? Like, like how do they see it? Yeah. Well, because they're black and we are not, they clearly know that they were adopted and everyone else knows that they <laughs> were adopted or at least that they're not our biological kids. Sure. But even besides that, that's not anything we would have tried to hide from them if they were Caucasian. Um, but we just talk about it freely and openly and um i think we go through periods where it comes up a lot it's kind of like they're they're processing different memories and then we go through periods where it doesn't hardly come up at all mm-hmm. i think there's some aspects of their story that we will share with them when it is more age appropriate if that right. makes sense yeah, totally. There's some things that I just don't think they would understand right now. And so we might find words to say that in a way that um, is appropriate for their age. And then one thing I did recently that has been so good is I just made um, photo books, but I made it like a storybook um, that we read to them mm. about their adoption stories. You know, so they're oh. they're the main character in it. And it's, you know, the things that we think we can guess they were probably thinking and feeling at different times. Oh, interesting. And so I use pictures and they love reading those. And then I think, so one thing that's been important to us is that they know that all of that is like their story and they're, they're the owners of that information and they can choose if they want to share it with people or not. So one of our sons brought his book for show and tell to school. He was really proud of it and he um, wanted to share all that with people. One of them, I, I can't see him wanting to take it and share it with people. We try to empower them to get to share what they want to or not. And in terms, I don't, you know, I don't really know what kids say or ask them at school. I'm not sure. They definitely know that our family, you know, doesn't match. They are super aware of race, which is great and age appropriate. I think they're really still processing that. It's it's hard because I think they could repeat all the things that we tell them. Um, but, you know, like you're going to be always part of our family and we're always committed to you and we always love you no matter what. Um, and your birth mom loved you so much. These things that we tell them, I think they could repeat it back to you. But in terms of what they actually believe and feel in their hearts, mm-hmm. I'm not yeah. sure. And that, you know, that's fine. And I expect that might be something that they are processing throughout their lives. Mm. Yeah. So I don't know for sure what they what they would say they actually believe and feel hmm. so oh, that's interesting i mean i just feel like I'm a, I'm a little bit surprised to hear you talk about that so comfortably because i just feel <laughs> like that's something that that I, I could see parents who have adopted children like really wanting to try to control or really wanting to try to micromanage like how their kids you know make sure their kids believe certain things about their themselves or their story or their family or whatever 
how do you how do you get yourself to a place where you're that comfortable i mean i i think it sounds mm. like really probably cool and like the ideal way to be but i would think that would be uh could be challenging mm. <laughs> to do yeah i think a big part of it for me has been knowing their stories from before they came to us and um, having a relationship. We we do kind of have a relationship with our twins, biological mom too. So just knowing like this was, these are their parents. Um, this was their life before us. This, I mean, with our sons from the DRC, like this their birth culture is so much different than ours. I've just never felt like, I just feel like we get to share them with their birth family and we get to share them with God and that they don't, I mean, they don't belong to me. They aren't only mine. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I think that's really cool. I, I just would assume that in a lot of cases, that could be something that would be, yeah, really tough to deal with. Yeah. It's just because, you know, you are trying to create, I think for your kids, a world that fosters certain beliefs in them, right? And so, but yeah. then also for them to be in a situation where you can't guarantee that they will believe certain things, that's like a difficult thing. But I, when you were talking about it, I was like really intrigued because I feel like that's how God feels with us, right? He, he wants to create and foster this environment where we would believe all the best things about ourselves and about him and about other people. But obviously we don't, yeah. right? Obviously the world the world shapes us in such ways and we're placed in environments where we end up leaving a lot of bad things, right? A lot of a lot of terrible things. Yeah. That have negative consequences. And that's something that he as a parent like has to really deal with. Uh, and obviously he's comfortable with that to some degree. Mm-hmm. Li- living in that uncertainty kind of and letting us believe those things. So um, yeah. but but I just think that's hard for parents to let go of. You know, we're we're so fixated on trying to control and like and help our children develop properly. Yeah. And you talked about it with such a freedom that I thought that was kind of like, I was, yeah. I was a little surprised by that. Well, I think kind of right now it feels fairly easy to have that outlook, I would say, because they are young and they're so dependent on me. I wouldn't say that's mm. not, I, I mean, I, I do still worry about them and I worry about their future and I would definitely be hurt and sad if they ever just kind of, you know, really struggled with their identity or their place in our family. So I still worry about it a lot, but I know, you know, I know that God is in control and I'm just going to do my best job while they're in my home. (laughs) Yeah, that's a pretty, yeah, that's a pretty cool attitude. (laughs) I am very interested about um, having, yeah, open adoptions or open relationships. I think you're the first person, at least that I'm aware of, that has open open relationships with the parents. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm like very interested to hear about all that decision-making that went into have that kind of be one of the choices or criteria that you were okay with or, you know, that you wanted. So, yeah, I guess it's, I don't think it's that uncommon among adoptions like these days for adoptions to be open mm. because of the way like social media and technology and um, like DNA testing, you know, like 23andMe, that sort of stuff is going. Um, And then I think too, as there's been more research on adoption and as kids who were adopted become adults, we're just kind of learning like it is in their best interest most of the time to know as much as they can about their birth family because it just supports their identity so much more. And identity is something that, you know, even as a... (laughs) 
a child in my original family as a teenager, like I questioned, you know, who am I? What do I believe? And that was in my original family. Yeah. So, yeah, I would say it scared me early on when we were considering it. Um, And honestly, there was some appeal to adopting from Africa initially because I didn't know a lot then. And so I kind of felt like no one can ever find them. They'll never take them back. Mm. Things like that, that just, you know, were founded in fear and Mm -hmm. ignorance to some degree. Our thing is just, we want them to have as much information about themselves as they can have. I think, you know, if you're in your original family, you, you don't really realize how much how much that has given you. And so, yeah, for us, I wouldn't, I, we treat and we talk about their birth families as if they're kind of like an extension of our family, you know, like extended family. Mm -hmm. But because they don't live right by us, we don't see them all the time. So our experience is different. And I know that experience, I know it can get really tricky and complicated, but in our case, it's been, great and the best thing that we've done cool yeah whenever i've thought about adoption the initial thought has always been like an open adoption would be scary yeah just with all the things that could happen with it and i I do really like the perspective and it's cool to hear that you want them to have as much info and you want them to be as secure in their identity and their story as as possible yeah so having a couple new children that are not of the same race as you. Mm-hmm. How has that kind of affected just your your perception? How do you think that um, they perceive? Or do they interact with the world differently? Yeah, just how, how has that all changed kind of your thoughts? Yeah, um, I think when we first committed to adopting kids of color, um, we had absolutely considered the things we could do to support their racial identity and be committed to living in diverse areas. All these sort of things that, you know, you learn about and you say you're going to do. And then I think just in the world and in the U.S., a lot of things happened with, you know, police and just lots of racism um, that was Mm -hmm. always there just became Mm a more common discussion. That was all kind of happening right before Theo and Elliot came home. I think that really caused us to step back and give more consideration to the choices we're making and kind of like the people that we associate ourselves with. Um, we, We have not had problems, really. You know, we don't have family members or grandparents who say totally inappropriate things um like some people might but okay so I guess one story that really kind of shows this is that um when my son was in kindergarten he was sitting on our front porch eating popcorn and then he came inside and a little bit later two police officers knocked at our door and said that there had been a call that there was possibly a burglary happening happening at our home and that there was um I can't remember how old like a 10 year old boy posted as a lookout outside our home (laughs) um so that was my five-year-old son so that I'm (laughs) that was 
that was traumatizing. I, the boys didn't really, they didn't yeah. really know what was going on, but it was super traumatizing for mm-hmm. us because we just felt like our neighborhood was, you know, really diverse and like, it's not a big deal if there's a black kid sitting outside of this home. But yeah, I mean, the caller well, clearly yeah. thought that was worth calling 911 about. And the caller clearly thought that my black son was like five years older than he actually is. Yeah. Which is kind of a, a common thing that, you know, black boys, people think they're a lot older than they are. So that <laughs> that took us back. You know, yeah. we stepped yeah, back and sure. we're like, what are we doing? Are we doing enough? Um, and I, so I think since then, we've become a lot more cautious about keeping our kids close to us. And that's, you know, like, that's not, that's not something that we're going to be able to do all the time. And so, you know, it freaks me out to think at some point, yeah. I'm going to need to let them ride their bikes to a friend's house. And, you know, what are people going to think about them? That's totally not right yeah so i think so for dan and i i think we've gotten a lot more passionate about issues of racism and racial identity and you know just kind of (laughs) calling things out if we hear people saying things where it's like clearly you know that's racist and you might not you might not understand it as that but Mm -hmm. can we just share our perspective on that with you as parents of black sons yeah Thanks for sharing that. I'm wondering if like, if there's other, not that that's a common occurrence in your life, but if there's just other experiences, because I feel like I'm hearing through whatever outlets I follow and the people that I listen to, I hear that the frequency of something like that is, is much higher than I would have initially thought. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, I, you know, I don't know if it's happening more frequently or if it's just being talked about. Yeah, def- definitely. But yeah, we know of, you know, lots of situations where something is totally assumed about a black person, child, adult, that is way off from the truth mm-hmm. and how, you know, like how damaging and harming that can be for someone. Yeah. yeah. It's scary. I don't know. It's it's a fact of parenting them. And I hope that culture sort of starts to shift in ways that are positive, but I'm not so sure that will happen. Sure. What What do you think the best way to go about that is? Like, what do you think people's responsibility is, I guess, in today's world when it comes to dealing with issues or calling people out or what's the best way to go about supporting? Yeah, I think just, you know, if if you hear something that is clearly incorrect, clearly making assumptions kind of pointing that out and then I think just being committed to knowing people of color listening to people of color listening to their experiences um, without trying to doubt them or interject your own experiences or opinion I think that goes a really long way yeah in, in making us better you know like better neighbors better community members stuff like that yeah. Do you have any do you have any ideas about how because I feel like a pretty big problem and one reason why it's you know I, we could probably do a whole episode on this this topic but obviously I feel like one thing that is making it harder for for people in the larger population to I guess grow is there's such a shame culture with 
racism in the sense that like if someone would say something that is not a great thing to say or think i think a lot of people would feel entitled to kind of shame that person and feel like that's actually an appropriate response is to oh you should feel Mm. ashamed of that or like make them feel bad about themselves for that and perhaps they should because it's bad you know but but a a lot a lot of it's just out of ignorance right a lot of it's this person they just grew up and they just don't they had experiences that shaped them and that kind of thing and we know from like the church and from sin in general the way to bring someone into righteousness is not to shame them for their sin, right? Mm, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it seems like with racism, you know, there's kind of this this thought that oh, we like we can attack someone for thinking or, or feeling something or saying something that's wrong, yeah, and we should make them feel bad. But then all that does is that makes someone really defensive, and then yeah. perhaps gets them to not actually see their words or their thoughts for what they are because they're like I don't want to, they don't want to be shamed, and so then they get defensive about something that perhaps. You know, it would be a good idea for them to change. So, how do you like when you say pointing that out to somebody if they say something or thinking something or making some assumptions that you would say are unfair or not true or ill advised? How do you do that without shaming them, <laughs> without, you know, yeah. turning into a really contentious, like you're a bad person for thinking that? Yeah. You should be ashamed of yourself, that, that kind of thing. Yeah. Okay. So, I think one thing I think it is important that these conversations primarily take place in person. And not online. Um, I think, you know, there's so many things about communication, body language and tone of voice and all these things that obviously these are conversations you should have in person if you can. I think it's important for us to say things out of love and out of, you know, concern for someone's best interest and concern for kind of like their ability to love people in their lives and I think you know admitting our own faults and admitting our own biases and our own ways that we've grown in these conversations is probably a really good way to make people feel more comfortable and less shame Mm -hmm. you know it's like to me it's kind of just use the basics of communication like how you communicate with your spouse. Like treat someone with love and there's no reason to corner them or accuse them. Um, and I've always kind of felt like it's really not my role to change anyone's mind or their opinion. It's it's like my job to kind of plant seeds of, you know, maybe we should think about this in a different way or maybe we should talk about this in a different way. That's where I see my role because I can't, I really cannot take on the weight of those conversations all the time. Sure. Mm. Sounds remarkably sensible, Natalie. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, Yeah, I know. Easier said than done. I think sure, I sure. have a personality that I don't like conflict a lot. So I'm, yeah. I'm pretty good at, <laughs> I'm pretty good at trying to make people not feel shame. Right. Well, I have a personality that love absolutely loves conflict, and I still think what you're saying is a good idea. So, <laughs> good. Good. Yeah. cool. Uh, well, let's. Yeah, I have a couple more general parenting questions. Yeah. That. Uh, so, I mean, you know, like our the the theme of our yeah, I guess this this show or whatever is that we're trying to look at the ways that that God parents us, and then trying to use that as a template for how we interact with our own kids and yeah. kind of guide our decision making. So, I'm just. Are there any ways that you can think of that your understanding of God as a parent has 
has affected how you've raised your kids? Yeah. So I have to be honest. I, we kind of became aware of like, I don't know, there's different words for it. Therapeutic parenting, connected parenting, trauma-based parenting, this sort of stuff. And so we learned a lot about it and we um, never considered parenting a different way. But as I've parented that way, I've seen all the ways that it is in like parallel with God and how he views us and treats us. So (laughs) it's not like a super, you know, faith based way of doing things necessarily. It's just that I've seen Mm -hmm. and I feel encouraged by the similarities. And so when I think like I heard this recently and I love it so much, a great example of this story that I love is the story of the prodigal son in the Bible. And it's something I think a lot about when I'm parenting, just how the father, when his son came back, was just so excited. And it's to me, it's like happy to connect again. And he wasn't, you know, he doesn't lecture his son He doesn't um, have all these consequences for his behavior. He just, he just delights in his son returning. And so I think this becomes more obvious maybe when you're parenting older kids, but we just go through these times where I just feel like my kids and I, we're just kind of missing. We're not connecting on the level that we usually do and we're just kind of off. And Mm -hmm. so my temptation as a parent then is to push them further away. Um, or to, you know, if they've done something to give them these consequences or lecture them so it never happens again, stuff like that. But instead, I feel like my husband and I do a really good job of just like when they just kind of come around, just accepting them back and like you have a clean slate and we are just like, I just really want to be able to delight in them unconditionally. And so that's kind of what I feel I see in the story of the prodigal son. And that's kind of how I feel God is with us when we make mistakes or when we wander away from him or when we just don't feel like our relationship with God is like going well. Right, right. <laughs> you know, he's he just wants us back and he's just happy to have us back. And there's no there's natural consequences to that sometimes, but there's no consequences that he like rains down on us yeah i definitely i i'm really interested in having you back on again to, to talk about gentle parenting or discipline or whatever because we yeah. just we just did a, we just did a bunch of episodes on it and i have a lot of questions and nicole has told me that like you are definitely someone that we should talk to about it and that would be yeah. fun to talk about um yeah a lot of but i told her she she said i should ask you about it tonight and i told her I don't think we have enough time. Uh, <laughs> she was like, what do you mean? And I was like, well, I, I could probably talk Natalie for two hours without even, you know, scratching the surface and that stuff. So <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, that's really yeah. cool though. I, I think, it, yeah, I totally get that. And yeah. that's a conversation we're really interested in having. Yeah. What's something that you feel like your family does really, really well? And also what's something that you feel like your family doesn't, doesn't do well or need, could grow, could grow a lot in? Yeah. So let's start with the, what we could grow in. Um, I think, man, with three kids, almost four now, there are just so many day-to-day things um, that you have to do with kids, three kids, almost four, um, that just kind of sucks up your time and to me feels like it doesn't leave us a lot of margin to just um, be together and enjoy each other. 
I think for me especially, I just kind of like to be in control of things. And so I busy myself with things to do in our household. For me, when I just let things go, you know, I don't clean up the dishes after dinner some night or I don't pick up the toys some night or the laundry doesn't get done on the day I usually do it. When I pass over those things and just sit and like be present with my kids and enjoy them and, you know, go with whatever weird things they're doing or wanting to play or learn about, those are really good times. So that's something I really need to improve on. I think it's just easier for me to do little tasks than to get down on the floor and play with them. I mean, still, I really struggle with that. So that's what we could improve on. And they they benefit from it so much. And we see a huge difference in their attitudes when we are, you know, just really connected with them and really present. I think what we do well, support each of our kids' personalities and interests and their quirks uh, without Mm -hmm. trying to, you know, mold them toward more of what we want them to be or what we want them to like or what we want them to learn. Mm. And I wonder, I sometimes wonder if that's easier for us because they aren't our biological kids. (laughs) Because there's just, you know, there's just some things about them where I'm like, this is, you know, this is clearly kind of like, a thing that you get from your birth family like this is not (laughs) you Mm. know this is not really from us um (laughs) because dan and i are fairly similar and Mm. the boys are really not like us in most ways (laughs) what's an example of that so i think maybe my favorite example is they're obsessed with michael jackson (laughs) and like we like we enjoy his music a lot but they are you know they they want to dance like him. They want to learn about him. Mm-hmm. Um, they had this project at school where they had to dress like and present um, someone who transformed the world. <laughs> and so Elliot came home and he's like, uh, my teacher said that Michael Jackson did not transform the world. We can't do him. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, they just they like dress they dress weird they're really outgoing and loud and you know it's like Mm. I am not like that and that embarrasses me a lot but it's like you know you're animated and you're funny and people are drawn to you and so I want to support that even though that's not me at all Mm. so yeah I think that's a really fun aspect of parenting too it's kind of like what will they become? We joke a lot about, you know, what jobs they might have in the future and stuff <laughs> based on, yeah, one of our kids, we think he'd be a really good grocery checker at Trader Joe's because <laughs> they're always like kind of, you know, like a little bit yeah. off and so conversational and funny. Like, I think he'd be great at that. <laughs> yeah. So I like, I, I really like that about our family. Yeah, that's cool. So, do you watch Seinfeld, Natalie, or have you seen Seinfeld? No. What? Oh my gosh. Have you seen Elaine dance? Do you know who Elaine is? No. I know who she is. I haven't seen her dance. Because what Eli does is like four times worse than what Elaine does right there. Yeah. It's really bad. It's like... It's really bad, but every time I see Eli dance, I'm like, mm, "Yep, you, <laughs> yep." And then yeah. I think the first time I saw him to do it was with the Hamilton soundtrack. 
Yeah. And I just remember thinking, like, there is no way to fix this. <laughs> uh, there's no way that Eli will ever be <laughs> like a good dancer because it's just innate. Uh, and then I see Instagram videos of your boys. I know. And I'm like, what the heck is going on? I know. I, uh, so did you did you do anything? Did you guys like do anything no. to make? <sighs> no, they. I mean, they came home and they started like listening to music and like beating on the table with like spoons. And we realized like they are right on the rhythm and they can totally pick up beats and stuff. Mm. And I, I think they just. I think Congolese culture. I think they were just around dancing and music all the time. Because, mm-hmm. no, I mean, we had them, we put them in a hip hop class for a little bit, but they didn't want to do it because they just want to like freestyle, you know, <laughs> they want to do their own thing. But they, yeah, they can, they pick up things quickly. And when you show them, I mean, I don't even know if we've shared the most in-depth Michael Jackson videos, but they will see something and they can mimic it perfectly. And that is totally not for me and Dan. And Milo, Milo, our youngest, is not, he is not a good dancer. Mm. <laughs> it's not, yeah, it's not from us, but it is super fun to see. It's so funny. Are, are they self-aware yet of, that they're actually good? Like, do they know? Yeah. Can they charm people? No, yeah. they do know. They do know. They've been in different settings where there's dancing and yeah, no, they love it when people kind of like egg them on and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Oh, they know, great. and I'm glad they know. It makes them feel so confident. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so then, yeah, what's the dynamic like for you being a mom of three? What seem <laughs> like high energy boys? I mean, at least two high energy boys. I don't know. I don't know Milo if he's quite the energy, same energy level, but you know. Yeah, but. no, he is. He is. Um. So I think it's interesting because I I only have brothers. I don't have a sister. I think I've always just been able to relate two guys well enough you know like I'm not a super girly girl that being said (laughs) there are things about boys that I just did not know and did not expect and uh there are definitely times where I asked Dan like is this normal (laughs) like is it okay that they're doing this you know like a lot of peeing type stuff like I did not. I did not know this was a thing. And I don't remember my brothers. You know, I don't remember them that well. I I was doing my own thing. So that's, yeah, that's been interesting. I think I've gotten to be good friends with a lot of moms that have boys. And I feel comfort in knowing that their boys do some of that same like weird stuff that I was not expecting. I think the other thing is that they have really, they've really challenged me to have more fun and like play outside more. You know, my ideal ideal day is kind of like lighting a candle and reading a book, (laughs) which is like their worst nightmare. So I think it's been really good for me and kind of like refining for me to have three boys that are so different than me. I I just can't like I can't keep on the same level of, of energy as they have every day. So I'm just really thankful for Dan because he he just really. You know, if he can tell that I'm like over it, over the boy energy for the day, he's he just steps in so well. And I think he he has a lot of fun hmm. doing stuff with them, too. 
I am excited to um, hopefully have a girl, though. Sure. And I'm quite curious to see what that girl will be like. <laughs> I don't like I, I don't want to put that totally. on a girl yeah. for her to be different or balance them at all. But I'm like, I don't know, man. Oh. They do some weird things. Some really just, you know, like foolish things. Yep. <laughs> the, the first week we moved into this house, I woke up to flashes of light and them kind of being like, oh, mom. And they had lit a ball of tape on fire outside of my bedroom door. <laughs> like there's, yeah. And I like, I freaked out i was like what on earth are you guys doing mm -hmm. they're like we just wanted to see what would happen <laughs> okay so yeah we i mean we hide stuff like lighters and knives better now but i was like that this can't be something a, the average girl would do at 7 a.m in the morning <laughs> yeah they're fun though they're really fun you'll be pleased to hear natalie that uh we bought a prius Yay! Your dream car. You did? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Oh, we had a Prius for six months or something. Is it working oh, well? Yeah, yeah. It's awesome. We love it. Good. I think we just got a we got a bad egg. Yeah. <laughs> I I hear that can happen for sure. Yeah. No, we drive like I mean a minimum of two hours a day for our job whenever we work. So yeah. going from like. I think I was getting like 20 miles to the gallon to getting like 45 yeah. <laughs> to the gallon is, is really nice. Well, we had a Prius and I really did not like it. It was like a, it was like a nineties computer. Like the, the whole dash would just go out. So you couldn't see how fast you were driving or how much gas you had. <laughs> so, yeah, we got rid of it, but Dan really liked it. It was his, it was his choice. I did not see it before he bought it. <laughs> That's nice. Cool. Well, this is great, Natalie. I had a lot of fun. I hope so. Did you have fun, Dan? I had a terrible time. <laughs> Typical. 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 I would, I, would, I would really like to have you on again to talk about the uh, the gentle parenting at some point because that's, okay. that's a good topic. Thanks for having me. This was fun. I don't, I don't get to do stuff like this very often. Cool. Thanks, Natalie. Yes. It was fun to talk to you guys. All right, thanks so much for listening. Hope you got something out of that. If you like what we're doing and you would like to help us out a bit, there are two main ways you could do that. One is if you're married and your spouse, husband or wife has not tried out our podcast, we'd like for you to ask them to give it a shot, see if they like it. One of our goals is to kind of talk about general parenting topics that apply to both parents. And then hopefully if both parents listen to this podcast, then it would spark some meaningful conversations between the two of you that would help you guys become better parents. So if you haven't tried that, go ahead and give that a shot. Also, if you could take 30 seconds and leave an iTunes rating or review, that would be really helpful. We've added in the description of the episodes now a link straight to our iTunes page where you can quickly, hopefully, leave a review. That would be great if you want to help people kind of discover our show. If you do that, we would really appreciate it. Otherwise, thanks for listening. We'll see you again next week. There is no way to fix this. You know, like a lot of peeing type stuff.